Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are supposed to rule over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man also came not to to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm picturing in my mind a scene that I've seen many times, and it happens in an elementary school classroom. Maybe you've seen this happen if you're a teacher or if you've worked in school before. The teacher will say, okay, class, it's time to get up and go to gym class or music class. Line up at the door. And suddenly, there's a mad dash for the door, right? And if you're lucky, only feelings have been hurt and no one's actually been trampled on. But I've seen this happen many times. And most teachers come up with a system so that every child gets a turn to be first in line because it is so important to them. I've literally seen children weeping, having major tantrums because their day was passed over and they didn't get to be first. And children are great because children have um, no pretense. So children's ambition in that moment is completely unveiled. As we get older and we become socialized, we learn to keep our motivation a little more under wraps, right? So maybe we're not as aggressive to get to the front of the line outwardly, but there might be an inward um, desire for in, to be seen to be first, um, to be great. And this is actually, I think James and John have a very um, childlike ambition here. Their ambition is so clear, it's unveiled, right? They go right to Jesus and they ask him, to give them whatever they want. The audacity, right? They basically are asking Jesus for a blank check. Have you ever had someone come up to you and say, promise me something? And you think, why don't you tell me what you'd like me to promise you before I promise to promise you something? Jesus is wise. He waits. He doesn't say, I'll give you whatever you want. Sure, I'll give you whatever you want. 
And they literally say that. They say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Jesus waits. And when he finds out what it is that they want, he's glad he waited, right? They ask to sit at Jesus' left and right hand when he comes in glory. Those are the seats of highest honor in a throne room. It's beautiful because their audacity reveals that they do actually possess faith that Jesus is a king and Jesus will come into his kingdom. <laughs> so they have this, they have this um, unveiled ambition. They have this audacity. And they actually have faith in the kingdom, which is good. Um, but they also, in addition to that, they display a complete denial and ignorance about what kind of kingdom Jesus will be coming into. They don't understand what kind of king he is. Unusual, because in Mark, Mark has just, Jesus has just said, literally, the verses right before James and John come up to them. He's just predicted what will happen to him when he comes into Jerusalem. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. Then James and John go and ask him. They don't get it, do they? They don't get it. They don't understand what kind of king Jesus is. And then when Jesus asks them, he tests them, can you drink the cup which I will drink? Will you, can you be baptized with the baptism with which I will be baptized? The answer is, you don't know what you're asking, right? The cup which Jesus will drink is the cup of wrath. Throughout the Old Testament, you see this, uh, this image especially in Isaiah 51, that there's a cup of God's wrath that is drunk um, by people in disobedience to him. You see that Jesus himself describes it as a cup in Gethsemane when he's praying, Father, let this cup be taken away from me, if it be thy will. Jesus drinks the cup of God's wrath to the dregs. And it involves suffering. And he knows that these disciples are not envisioning that they will be united with him in suffering as well as in glory. The baptism with which Jesus is baptized, he's the first one to use baptism as this flood, this flood of God's judgment pouring over him. The Psalms talk about water washing over them, the psalmist. And Jesus appropriates this. He, said, he talks about baptism as a judgment, um, as death. And then he says, you will suffer, um, but the glory that you desire is not to be given to you. It's to be given to those whom the Father has decided beforehand. These two are not the only two who have unveiled ambition. The ten, when they hear it, they're indignant. The word for their indignation is one of righteousness, self-righteousness. How dare they ask this of Jesus? They're not saying, oh, they're too ambitious. They're saying, why'd they get there first? I wanted to, I didn't think of that. That's a great idea. I should have asked him that. They're righteously indignant. 
So Jesus calls all of them, and this is where we hear this teaching on discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple, to be a citizen in Jesus' kingdom? It shall not be so among you. It shall not be the way it is among the Gentiles. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Ours is a topsy-turvy kingdom. Up is down, and down is up. We must go low like our master. We're called to the kind of service that Jesus himself embodies, even to the point of suffering and death. How cheery. (laughs) My sister calls me Debbie Downer. Look out. (laughs) Um, This kind of service, Um, We all know this as Christians, right? We know that we're called to a life of service. And it might be that some people are better at serving outwardly. It comes more naturally to some people, I think, than to other people. Um, And yet, even for those who have this outward ability to serve naturally, the question is, what's on the inside? There's outward pride that's made manifest in the unveiled ambition of the disciples. But then there's also this inward pride. When your right hand knows what your left hand is doing and you give give yourself that inward pat on the back. Sin is universal. And I would say that pride is the sin that is the most universal, perhaps. If I had to, you know, make a little hypothesis there. I am guilty of pride, too. Deborah Layton. I'm guilty of hypocritical service. And I'll give you an example. When I was about seven years old, I went to summer camp every year. And the summer camp I went to was called Summer's Best Two Weeks. Maybe some of you have heard of it. Um, I haven't seen it very widely, but um, it was an athletic camp. It was a competitive camp. You had to memorize Bible verses to get points for your team. If you were at the um, away camp, you had to brush your teeth. You got points for brushing your teeth. You got points for taking a shower, which for middle school kids is that's, that's good. Um, you got points for doing the long jump, for treading water. You got points for climbing a ropes course, all of these things. And I was not, let me tell you, I was not athletic. So this camp was daunting for me. But there was one thing, there was one prize at the end of the two weeks that was given for the child who most fulfilled the camp's motto. And the camp's motto was, Jesus is first, others are second, and I'm third. That was the model. I'm motto. I'm third. And let me tell you, every year at the end of the two weeks, I waited with bated breath because I thought I would get the prize for being the best third. How is that for ambition, inward pride? Isn't that ironic? A little girl thinking, I'm the most selfless one here. Praise God, I was never actually given the prize. (laughs) Someone saw through me. (laughs) But pride can be this audacious, unveiled ambition or the inward selfish motivation despite our outward appearances. But pride being sin, praise God, we are freed from it because of Jesus' own humility. He He gave himself as a ransom for many. He gave himself in order to buy us back from slavery to sin. 
so that we might no longer live in pride and sinfulness, but in humility and love for Jesus. And then from there, to service, but just receiving what Jesus has done for us first and foremost. And so, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. And with his stripes, we are healed. Let us pray. Thank you, Jesus, for drinking that cup to the dregs. Thank you for being our ransom. Let this truth sink ever more deeply into our hearts. And we ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.